Jace Robertson was asked, if, if you listen closely by that interviewer, what was it that caused your faith to be so grounded? He says, you're grounded so well and you, you have things together. What was it that caused that? And if you heard, he said, it was the decision I made. The decision I made. And then he explained that decision. In his case, as a 14-year-old boy. My case is a 13-year-old boy. Your case, hopefully somewhere in your life. The decision you made. But there is no way Jace Robertson's decision now, at whatever age he is, is still a 14-year-old boy's decision. He allowed it to grow. He allowed God's Word to impact it. He allowed the example of his family. And if your family doesn't give you a Christian example, believe me, there are families here at Connection that you can connect to that will give you a Christian example. But it was the example of others that helped him. But it was the decision. As he said, when he looked at it, the death the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the power that's involved in that. That is what helped him. Jesus Christ invites you and I to make the same kind of decision. It's whether you and I will be wise enough to do that. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to turn to Luke, the 13th chapter, if you would. Luke, the 13th chapter, and we're going to look there. If you've got that New Testament, it's page 64, okay? It's page 64, and we're going to look there. But when you find that, and if you do not have your copy of God's Word, that's okay. Bring it next week. The words will be on the screen. But I want you to turn in your Bibles, find the 13th chapter, and then I want you to go to the 7th chapter of Luke, the 7th chapter. And I'm sorry, I don't have this on the screen, okay? Just this morning, I thought, you know, in my time before I came, in my prayer time, I I thought, you know, God, whenever I pray before these people, things that you would want me to call attention to, with them joining me, asking you to do in our midst. And he led me back to this passage. We've looked at it already. Now let me stop and let me sort of set the stage why I want us to look at this. This week in Boston... I can't believe not anybody is here that doesn't know about what happened at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, okay? People died, people were injured, families have been changed until the day they die, okay? Things will not be the same for some families. And if you don't realize it, America is never going to be the same. Not as long as we travel the way we're traveling. Okay? But a lot has happened. And you and I have to decide how we're going to respond to it. And of course, when it all happened, it was those Muslims. And I know some of you, because I've heard your your tone of your voice and your knowledge above God's knowledge that you judge those Muslims. Not in regard to to salvation. You judge them on other aspects. It is like one person said, I wish I would have been the first to say this, but I will repeat it. To look at Muslim terrorists, they said. For some of us, to look at Muslim terrorists should be the same as Christians looking at the Westboro Baptist Church. And that's the church in Kansas that protests military funerals. I abhor that. I love those people. But that action's wrong. I thought that was so insightful. I wished I would have said that. Sometimes I hear people say things I wished I would have said. The way we ought to look at Muslims, if they're involved in this, and we don't know, and I'm not trying to say they are, we should look at Muslim 
terrorists the same way as Christians look at the Westboro Baptist Church. So how should we look at this? Whether it's two brothers influenced and doing this on their own or whether they're part of a bunch of people. Jesus told us how to look at it. We sang a song, Making All Things New. I, would, I, I wanted to say, let's put all those words back on there and go through it, but I want to preach my sermon. But in there it says, Making all things new, so we become free. If your decision in Christ is not based like Jace Robertson's decision in Christ, you do not have freedom to see what happened on Monday after your emotions were able to settle down, to see it as Christ would want you to see it, making all things new in you. That song says, as He rises, we have the power to change, I believe it is, or the power to become new. If you can't see what Jesus' defeat over man's hatred, man's unlove, man's wrong attitude toward God and killing him, if you can't see in his resurrection what he was trying to tell us is the power, you don't have the power to change and to become new. You won't. You're going to be just like you were five years ago, ten years ago. You're not going to change because you didn't make the decision. That Jason. Robertson was talking about. So what am I alluding to? There in the 7th chapter of Luke, the 27th verse, and when we looked at it, I talked about a lot of us just pass this up, especially in regards to family members who hurt us, people in community. But look what Jesus said. But to you who are willing to listen, to you who are willing to listen, at least I could talk about that for a while, I say, love your enemies. Who are my enemies? Look what he says. Do good to those who... I mean, I'm back here weeping, thinking I'm going to tell you people this. God, please have them to understand so they can become new if they aren't there. Do good to those who hate you. Look what he says in 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. That has happened to us this week. And we're told what our attitude should be. And if you get with somebody else that teaches you any other kind of attitude, they are not acknowledging the power of Jesus Christ in their life. They are not new. They are as ugly and as old as this world. Now would you bow with me? I'm going to pray. Father, I thank You for Jesus and His words. I thank You for what it does for my emotion of hatred and get even and revenge. I thank You. I thank You that we don't have to be like other people and be locked into darkness and because of the blindness, never see the light. Father, I thank You for all those people who responded to help people in Boston. And God, I ask that you would be with those family members who, who are mourning officers and civilians who, who died or who have been maimed in some way they have been hurt. I pray for those families. We pray for those families. And Father, we pray for the family of these two brothers. Oh God, I wish the older brother wouldn't have died. For his decision has been made. But I pray for this 19-year-old. I pray for life for him. And I pray for, for 
insight into those who medically take care of him and those who will question him and those who will come across his path and his family's path. And Father, I pray that there will be so many Christians, so many people who believe in Jesus and Luke 7, 27 and 28, that this 19-year-old will, will, will just be overwhelmed with love and not hatred. I pray, Father, that, that that love would so overwhelm that He would make a decision of turning to Jesus and His family. Wherever they go back and live, they will always remember how Christians acted. Not Americans, but Christians. Because America doesn't give a hoot about you, God. But don't let us stop behaving the way you want. I thank you for opportunities to love our enemies. And I thank you for opportunities to do good and bless those who, who hurt us and curse us. And Father, I thank you for being in the presence of such a comfortable environment of people. I thank you for, for what I felt yesterday at our new property, the relationship with the people. I thank you for those teenagers that gave of themselves yesterday. Father, I thank you that you've allowed me the opportunity when so many things could take me away. I thank you for the opportunity of just relating in comfortable environments. Father, I pray I pray that, that in this experience that we're doing right now, that you will give us insight and we'll make the decisions that you would want us to make. That we would not miss what Jesus is going to say to us this morning. It's in His name we pray. Amen. So if you would, look there in Luke, the 13th chapter. I want to begin at verse 22. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Jesus has asked that question that, that today in evangelical Christianity, we, we talk about how many will be saved. That's the question we always ask. That's always the question we're concerned. Are you saved? Do you know when you die, will you go to heaven? Do you know where you'll spend eternity? However you've learned to ask that question, always, how many will be saved? Come on, how many will be saved? Matter of fact, I wonder if sometimes we ask that question and, and we don't stop and think, am I saved? Is Christ really the Lord of my life? We don't even know who this is, but somebody comes up and he says to Jesus, Lord, will only a few be saved? Because if you remember, we've talked about some hard things, and so anybody who's been traveling with Jesus, they're at the beginning to say, can anybody do what you say? Can you love somebody who hates you? Can you love your enemy? If your son or daughter or your family member would have got blown up, can you love those people? I'm not telling you when your emotions first come, I'd want to get even with them. I know that. But can you move to the place? Of understanding the power of Jesus. See, so this person comes up and says, So Lord, will only a few be saved? Can only a few follow you? Can only a few do this? And so we are always saying, How many will be saved? Are you saved? When we've got to stop and think, Am I saved? Matter of fact, this world's getting tired of hearing evangelical Christians say, Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? And we like to say, Well, they're doing that because they don't want to be saved. No, because they're being asked by people who hate them. They're being asked by people who will gossip about them. They're being asked by people who will, who will curse them. And you say to me, You mean you want us to turn our cheek? You want us to forgive them? I don't want you to do anything but what Jesus wants you to do. That's all I want you to do. I'm not the one telling you. I'm not the one you're going to answer to. So this person says, man, are only a few going to be saved? The person's not looking to themselves. They're looking at other people. And look what Jesus does. Look at 23. He replied, and I think you ought to circle the next two words. So when you read this later, you'll understand this. Work hard. Work hard. Work hard, he says. 
If we, got, if we could read this in the Greek, work hard is rounded up in one Greek word that means fight or make hard labor. Labor. Fight. Labor. And I'm going to tell you, to love somebody to hate me, I've got to work at it. To love someone who... who I got in-laws that didn't treat me very well, nice. I had to work at it. Jesus says, reply to, well, can only a few be saved? Or only a few be saved? Jesus says, work hard to enter the narrow door. He doesn't even talk about anybody else but that one person. And that's what it is to you and I. He's talking just to you. You who still hate. You who will not forgive somebody who's done something years ago. You. That's who he's talking to. Me. He's talking to us. He said, I'm going to tell you, work hard to enter the narrow door. Now, why is it narrow? I don't have a lot of time here. It's narrow because, you see, Jesus says it's one way. It's, it's the decision, as Jace Robertson said, follow Jesus. The world says, no, there's many ways. And so the world's way to God and a relationship that's going to make your life better is broad. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, there's only a narrow way to make your life better and have a relationship with God. And it's very narrow. Matter of fact, what do we say? Somebody who says Jesus is the only way is intolerant. Somebody who says the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ is narrow-minded. And Jesus doesn't hide that fact. And so this guy who has been listening to his teachings, who asked this question, Jesus says, to him, work hard to enter the narrow door. He goes on to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. And we don't like that, say. Jesus says, you better give every effort to be saved. Because the man says, well, only a few be saved. So the man brings in this word saved. Jesus says, you better give every effort to be saved. You better work hard to be saved. You better do everything you can to be saved. That's what he says here. Now, some of us don't like to hear this, that some won't make it. Because God, if He's a God of love, He would make everybody be saved. But you see... What we do is we say, God, you've got to do it our way. A God of love is, is giving opportunities right there on that day for people to be saved because Jesus is telling them how to do it. And today, the God of love is giving you an opportunity to be saved and He's telling you how to do it. You've got to make every effort to enter the narrow door. You see, the atheist says there's no God, but I'm going to be okay. An atheist can work very hard. They're not going to be saved. A pluralist can say, you know, there's many ways to heaven. I'm not locked in that there's only one way. And so, pluralist never enters through the narrow door. And the pluralist can work hard to save the world. But the pluralist will never be saved. And the philosophers and the ideologists who come up with all their neat statements... They can do everything they want, but they don't enter through the narrow door. They can work hard for all their philosophies and all their, idea, all their ide ideas, but they're not going to be saved. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, he says in 25, when the master of the house has locked the door, uh-oh, finality. Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you, there's coming a time. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. In other words, there comes a time when it's too late. There comes a time you don't have another opportunity. If you have your message map, look at the first blank. Look what I wrote there. What he's trying to get across. Look what he says there. Jesus says that it ultimately comes down. I'm sorry, that was earlier. It ultimately comes down to where, whether or not you are saved. That's what it's all about. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, the door is going to get shut. That's going to be it. Look on the screen. Look at this verse. You can write it. Well, it's in your, your worship handout. Hebrews 9.27. It's from the today's English version. It reads almost the same in, in the New Living Translation. But it's a little bit easier to understand. It says, everyone must die once, and after that, be judged by God. You, you catch what that's saying? It's saying, everybody lives. Everybody dies. Everybody's judged by God. 
Everybody lives, everybody dies, everybody's judged by God. You say, I don't want to believe in the kind of judgment you're talking about. Don't argue with me, argue with Jesus and His words in Luke. You see, everybody lives, you are alive, you will die, and you will be judged by God. Look at the next blank on your message map. You see, there is no reincarnation. There is no second chance. There is no purgatory. It's all a lie, folks. As long as a person has breath, they have time to be saved. After you die, it's too late. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. That's what He's trying to get across. And that's what we have to understand. Now look what He says. See, they're not dead yet. Look what He goes on to say in 25. You will stand outside. In other words, you're not inside. You, you, you haven't went through the narrow door. You haven't went that way. You know your life. Listen, this is it. You, 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 it's like being in a world of darkness. And, and you just can't get it together. And you try as hard as you can. And you see, you don't try as hard as God says you should try. You don't work hard according to God's Word. It's always back to your rationale, your understanding, your arguments, your, your thing. And you feel this darkness in this world. And you're saying, oh man, I'm going crazy. And we get depressed and we, we have nervous breakdowns. And some of us, we, do, we, we, we go and we do a lot of pleasure things to try to get over it. We work hard and try to get a lot of money. And we try to buy things because this is a dark world. And I know it's not getting better. And all of a sudden... All of a sudden, 2,000 years ago, see, a door opens. All this darkness in this world, and the door opens, and the light shines through because it's the coming of the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. And now He's explaining to people how to relate to God. But everybody's in the dark world, see? And they know they're in a dark world because life isn't getting. Jesus said, the thief, He's talking about the devil. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to come and give it a rich and satisfying life. But I'm in this dark world, and I'm just making it. And the door opens. It's a narrow door. You see, in this dark world, there's a lot of other doors that says, come here, and their lights are dim, and we try to go there. Somebody says, lose a little weight. Join this club. Somebody says, find another hobby. Do this activity. And you know, we find all these little reliefs. But we're still in the dark world. But the narrow door opens. And Jesus says, you know what you got to do? All this influence, all this that has changed your thinking through the years, you got to work hard. You got to work hard because see, this door and these people and these things will pull you. There's a narrow door and you got to fight. You got to work hard. Now, listen, folks, why is it working hard? It's really easy. It's just easy to say, mm-hmm, I know. It's not rich and satisfying. I know it's not getting together. There's Jesus. I'm going to go to Jesus. But you see, your mind's full of the way you're used to doing it because you're not a bunch of kids. That's why we say, listen, the word, Christianity says this. You want to lead people to Christ? You've got to get children. You've got to get them before they're teenagers. You've got to get them if they're in teenagers receive Christ because when they get adults, they won't go to the narrow door. You know why? Because this world has them. That's why some of you folks, listen, some of you parents, be careful. You've got opportunities with little bodies to help them understand always to walk to the narrow door, not to walk to all the other doors. Enjoy this world, but don't let them get captivated by the darkness. Because you see, when you're captivated by this world, you've got to work to get there. Because you've got to start putting away your ideas, your thoughts, your habits, your behaviors. And that's hard to do. Yep, people will stand outside, 25. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, Nick's nine words, if you could underline them. Nick's nine words. I don't know you or where you come from. In other words, the narrow door's over there, and you're totally not even coming from the right perspective. And I get exasperated at times because, you see, there's people in this dark world that wants me to give answers when the answer's over there by the narrow door. It's in the person of Jesus. And he says, I don't, I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're coming from. 
26. And then you will say, but, but Jesus, we know you. We ate and drank with you. Oh, we know you. See, it says, and you taught in our streets. In other words, come on, Jesus, we hung out at church with you. Come on, Jesus, we know you. We ran with some of your people. Come on, Jesus, some of my family were saved. You were in our neighborhood. Come on, Jesus. Look what he says in 27. And he will reply, here it is, you just underlined a little bit ago. I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. You see, Jesus will say, I want you to understand something. You never got saved. Now, understand this. Jesus didn't start this conversation. If you've been here during the sermons, Jesus just, boy, he's... When he knows in chapter 9 he's going to Jerusalem, the people who are coming to meet him, he gets talking very serious about living God's life. And this guy says, so you're saying only a few are going to make it. I mean, because who could do chapter 7? Who could love their enemy? Who could, who could do good to those who curse them and bless them who hate them? So who can be saved? And Jesus gets into this. Look at 27. Look what he says. Get away from me. All you who do evil. That's judgment terminology, folks. That's judgment terminology. Get away from me. This is not a mean statement. You see, some people, some people who will not listen to all Jesus' words, they hear a Christian say that, and they say, that's the meanest statement I ever heard. I don't want to follow somebody like that. That's this world, see? Because this world says, you know, we're getting better. This world says life's getting better. This world says people are getting better. You look at the narrow door and it says people who follow Jesus get better. And so somebody says, well, that's a mean statement there. Get away from me, all you who do evil. That's judgment terminology. Jesus is saying, I want you to understand, you will experience, listen, Everybody lives, everybody dies, everybody's judged by God. You will experience the consequences of the judgment. You refused the narrow door in this dark world. He goes on, look what he says in 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, that's judgment terminology. That's what it is. In other words, you're going to experience something that isn't very good. Can you imagine somebody always biting you? Always being in pain? Somebody always nibbling on you? It all depends. If it's Laura, it feels pretty good. But if it's you, well, thank you. Some of you are with me. Got to make this sort of light because it's really serious, isn't it? Can you imagine somebody nibbling on you all the time? That's judgment terminology. Not that you're going to go to hell and somebody's going to nibble on you all the time. In a sense, nobody wants that kind of constant pain. I'm going to tell you. We know that kind of constant pain in this dark world. If you catch my analogy, we know that constant pain. And you think it's going to change after we die? Jesus says, no, you're going to be judged based on what you did in this dark world. And so he says, I'm going to tell you, work hard, fight it off, get away from me. No, I'm sorry, I stopped doing those things. No, I'm not going to do that. No, my time's committed. I will not sleep in on Sunday morning. No, I'm going to connect group. No, I'm not going to isolate myself. I'm going through the narrow door. I'm going to follow Jesus. You've got to fight it. And you know when you think you get it under control and you're following Him? Give it a few weeks, a few months, give it a few days, and boy, everything's going to crash on you because this world of darkness is going to want to tell you don't follow Jesus. Look what he says. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. Look at your next message map. Look at the blank. Fill in the blank. God's people will be in God's presence, but not you. Now look how I wrote that. Not you who refuse to be saved. That's all it is. You see, it's not the hard world. It's not all those who are pulling at you. It's not all those who want you to do this. It's not all those who want you to do this. It's you refuse to be saved. That's what he said. 
Someone says, but God isn't being loving. God is not being loving. He's being loving right now. He was being loving right then with Jesus. And he's being loving right now. With Jesus, he was saying, look, you're going to, you live, you die, you're going to be judged. Go through the narrow door. Follow Jesus. And right now, that's what he's offering to you. And what it is, is they refuse. And they're going to be judged because, listen to me, they refuse to see that which is of value in this dark world. See, they're in this dark world. And Jesus, the narrow door, doesn't look so great in this dark world. It just looks like everybody else. And yet, they, when they listened, that's why he often says, now listen. When they listened, they said, man, this is a guy that doesn't talk like the other religious people. This is a guy that has authority and power like other people don't have, see? And I'm going to tell you, you let Jesus be in charge of your life, it's amazing the, how he makes things new. Got to be careful, the dark world wants to pull you away from the newness. They were going to be judged because they were in, pre- in the presence of something valuable and they refused because their life is so busy. They refused because they had their own goals to achieve. They refused because they had to go to their obligations. They refused to see that valuable thing and commit themselves to it. Watch this video if you would. The man playing the violin is Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell was asked by the Washington Post if he would go to the subway station of Washington, D.C., and uh, one of the main areas where people come through, and if he would play there. And so Joshua Bell put on a long sleeve T-shirt, pair of jeans, uh, Washington Nationals ball cap, boo, okay, Washington Nationals ball cap, and... Uh, took his violin, got it out of the case, laid the case open at his feet, and, and I think he said he put a little change in there sort of to get it going, okay, and he began playing the violin, okay? What you saw was what the Washington Post newspaper had videotaped because they wanted to see what people's response would be, okay? And uh, 
1,097 people passed Joshua Bell. You saw all those people in that video, okay? And uh, of those 1,097, uh, they had a decision to make. Would they, would they stop and listen? Would they evaluate, is this guy any good, or is he just an average violinist? Uh, this isn't my shit. This isn't my, my, my thing I want to do. This isn't what I like. And uh, uh, do I go on? And, and so Joshua Bell played for three-quarters of an hour. I think 41 minutes or something like that. Okay? He played, he played uh, six of the most difficult classical pieces for a violinist to play. And uh, people just walked by. Okay? What... what uh, the Washington Post wanted to know, would people see value in front of their eyes when value was there? Because you see, Joshua Bell is an internationally known violinist, virtuoso. He was playing on one of the most valuable violins ever made, a 1713 Antonio Stradivari violin. Just three days before that, he was at the Boston Symphony. Symphony Hall. Packed crowd. Paid $100 a seat or more. Of those 197 people who passed, let's see, it said, uh, seven stopped and hung around longer than a minute. 27 people gave him money. That totaled $32.17. What that means is that 1,090 people were in the presence of greatness. Never even saw it. You see, they all had a decision to make. A guy by the name of John David Morgenstern said that uh, he was on his way through there and he heard the music. Okay, and uh, and something about it just caught his attention, and he looked at his 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 phone, and he saw he had three minutes before he would have to go on, okay, to get to work. And so he said, "I stopped for three minutes." He says, "The closest thing I've been to classical music is classic rock and roll." Good, some of you understand that. And he said there was just something though about the experience. That so touched me in three minutes that it caused me to do something that I've never done before in my life. I gave money to a street musician. Sharon Parker. Sharon Parker and her son Evan passed the musician. Evan, the little boy, he notices Joshua Bell, or he notices the musician and the music, and he, he's intrigued, and he's tugging on his mom to stop. But his mom, Sharon Parker, Mrs. Parker, said, I did not have time that morning to stop, and so I did what every parent would do. I placed my body between Joshua Bell and Evan so he couldn't see it anymore. And... The Washington Post makes comment, and they showed her later the picture. Even while she tried to block him, he kept looking back at the musician playing the music. And her comment to the Washington Post was, well, I guess Evan's a very smart boy. Now, why do I show you that, and why do I tell you that? Because you see, in that day, something very valuable 2,000 years ago, we're standing in front of those people right there. And they got to hear the music of God's message. And today, you are right in the presence of that narrow door, Jesus Christ. And you are hearing. And God in His love is calling you to work hard to make that decision. To walk through the narrow door. And you will make the decision. Believe me, you will make the decision. Live in the dark world. 
and pretend you got the answers or follow Jesus and be made new and discover the answers if you follow Him and do what He says. Look back at Luke 13. He ended by saying, many, many are going to be in God's presence. Abraham, Isaac. But He says, you people, you'll, they'll be there. But you won't because you refused. Look what He said in 29. And the people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. I want you to understand why he puts that in there. Because the person said, are only a few saved. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what. We're in this little land, and there's a few million of us here. And you're wondering if only a few can be saved, because what I'm saying to you, it seems like you cannot do it, because you're caught. You're caught in this dark world. I hope you see this illustration, this analogy. You're caught in here and everything in your mind saying, I can't live like Jesus said. I can't go through that narrow door. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, when it's all done, they're going to come from all over. That narrow door is just not for people in Israel. That narrow door is not just for white people. That narrow door is just not for Americans. That narrow door is for all people throughout the world that's why folks when they hate us if we have gone through the narrow door and we follow jesus we must love them they're our enemies when they hurt us we must do good to them when they curse us we must bless them because you see that 19 year old if he cannot ever talk again will communicate if he lives and he needs to be overwhelmed by people like people who come to connection that are followers of Jesus. So that he too might be one of these many people Jesus talks about. Verse 30, and note this, some who seem least. Now look what he says, very important. See, we often misquote this part of this. Now there's another place where Jesus talks about this that is a correct quote, but look what he says here. Some, because he's talking about it in regards to going through the narrow door, you know, some who wait, it's too late. Masters lock the door. Some who seem least important, you ought to circle the word now, so when you read this, you're going to catch this contrast. Some who seem least important now will be the greatest, circle it then. Circle then. And some who are the greatest, circle now, will be the least important, circle then. Now, why do I say that? Because he's saying, listen, I want you to understand, he's talking to these people, he's talking to you and I, I want you to understand, right now, in, according to the world, according to this dark world, there are some people who seem to be very unimportant now. But when the judgment comes, they will be of utmost importance then. You see, in our terminology is this, if you're an unimportant person in the social experience of this world, you don't get invited to celebrations. Jesus, Sam, will tell you, you may not get invited to the celebrations of the world. It seems like they got it all together and you don't, but if you go through the narrow door, you will be important in that celebration of God. And he says, and there's some people now who, boy, they seem to be so important, and all of us work to that. I want to drive a little bit better car, so when I pull in, people go, no, I'm somebody. I want to live in a little better house. So, you know, when people come to buy my house or come into my house, they know I'm somebody. I want to have a little bit bigger bank account. I want to have a few more things. I want to belong to all those clubs. Nothing wrong with any of those things I said except the motive. See, those who are, are seemingly important now, from our perspective, they get invited to all the celebrations. Jesus says that happens now. But then, they didn't go through the narrow door. They're not going to get invited to the eternal celebration of God. That's what He's telling them. Look at 31. At that time, look what happens. Same thing that may be happening in your mind. I hope not. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. Herod wants to kill you. In other words, some of these people can't stand this. It's, it's, it's pointing fingers at them. Is it pointing fingers at you? Is it pointing fingers at me? Each one of us got to an answer. You see, you live 
You die, and you will be judged. And you can say, I don't care. You see, the dark world says, don't care about the celebration eternal. You have the celebration now. Live in your sin. Live in your wrong attitude. Live in your behavior that you know doesn't bring anything rich and satisfying. Oh, it's temporal. It makes you forget for an instant. But then it all comes falling down on you. See? When we hear that, we want to say, when's this thing going to be over? And that's what they do. And this guy said, get away. A religious person said, stop preaching. Stop talking. I don't want to hear this. Get away. You're going to get killed. Look what 32 says. Jesus replied, go tell that fox. Talking about that Roman, see? Like, yeah, I'm sorry, that Jewish leader who is given Roman authority. He says, go tell that fox. In other words, if we got into the Greek, it means somebody who's sly and thinks they got all the answers. Go tell that guy who thinks he has all the answers. And you know what? Sometimes when you're a person that looks very significant in this world, you got enough money, you got a good house, you got a good vehicle, you got money to go do some things, you think, well, I got all the answers. I don't have to listen to anything else. You said, go tell that fox, that person who thinks they have all the answers for life situations. That I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day I will accomplish my person purpose. He's saying, listen, now, he's speaking of the resurrection. You know, he's going to die on the cross, lay in the grave. Three days he's going to raise. He says, listen, it's all going to happen. You know why that's important to them? Because you see, in that area, they could disprove it or prove it. You and I can't. We can't go back to that time. But the very next day after resurrection, once it starts spreading, they could go and find the empty tomb, see? Because it says it was Joseph and Arithea's tomb. They could go talk to somebody after a few days when Jesus appeared to other people. They could go talk to those people. Did you really see him? You and I can't. So we take it by faith, but they could check it out, say. Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill those. Now, now look, he goes on, 33. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And here he's talking about the love of God. I've used this illustration many times in personal relationships. You know what Jesus is saying? I just want to get people like a mom would get her chicks. Why does a mom want to get her chicks? Because the mom don't want her chicks to miss out on living to their potential. You know, the potential of chicken is to end up at KFC so Mike Davis can enjoy greasy chicken. Well, that mama don't know that. Just like I don't understand all of God's potential for my life. But Jesus said, oh, I would that I could just get you to come under me, that you would enter through the narrow door and let me love you like a mama chick. But you know what happens? Those chicks, they get distracted because they know there's something better. Matter of fact, some of you are raising little chicks, and boy, they just know there's something better than what you got for them. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is the love of God being described. Refuse to be distracted like baby chicks. Refuse to be distracted from following Jesus. That's what he's saying. Look at 35. And now, look, your house is abandoned. And you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me just describe the dark world. America, somewhere in this dark world. And I've already told you, it's never going to change in America. There's going to be more bombs. You see, our house is abandoned. And that's what Jesus is telling them. If you refuse to see the value of the one who is before you, that's Jesus Christ. If you refuse to enter through this narrow door, that is follow Jesus Christ, your life will be abandoned. Not because God doesn't love you, but because God works through the power of His Word and His Holy Spirit, and that all hinges upon those who go through the narrow door who follow Jesus Christ. And some of us are breathing and we sit through experiences like this and we aren't bad people, but we know we are abandoned by God. Not because He left us, but because we refuse to follow Jesus. And He says, it's not going to happen until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at the last message map. People will not see Jesus for who He really is until they see Him as God's deliverer, God's Messiah. 
Do you hear me? Until you see Him as the only deliverer in your life, not your job, not your paycheck, not your bank account, not the new house, not the new car, until you see Him as the only Messiah in your life, will you really come to see Him who He is? The one you must follow every day, especially when this world This dark world is seeking to make your emotions like the dark world and your choices like the dark world and your attitude like the dark world. If you don't see the the narrow door, the only way, you'll never, ever really see Jesus for who He is. Look on the screen. Look what what John told us in his gospel about that Jesus said. Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pastor. And that word pastor in the Greek means the place of peace and comfort. That's what we all want in this dark world. Jesus says, go through the narrow door. Follow me. I am here to tell you today, Jesus is the door to the eternal relationship with God. I am here to say to you, don't argue with the door. Don't question the door. Don't criticize the door. Don't run from the door, but instead run. Run to the door. Run to Jesus Christ. Every situation in your life, when your emotion wants to rise up and you be what He doesn't want you to be, in time His Spirit will convict you. And run, run and follow Him. For He is the door who offers you the peace and security you want. And we as people of connection never forget that. And one of the ways Jesus told us never to forget that He is that door, that He is God's deliverer, that He is God's Messiah, is to take the elements of the bread and the juice for face down. You see, He said the bread represents His body given on the cross for us. The juice represents His blood that was shed that our sins could be forgiven. That's what He said. And He said, take the elements so that... Now, here I am. Look, take the elements and remember that. I'd like those who are going to serve face down to come, if you would. And we're going to have two places for you to come. And I invite you to come. And what you should do is you just come. If you want. If you don't, that's okay. But if you're a child of God, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, He says you ought to do this. Then I invite you to come and you take the bread. Just pull a piece off. Dip it in the juice. Take it. Eat it right there. Take it back to your seat. However you want to take it. But when you do, remember what He has done for you. Listen, we all know. We all know. Let me get this. We all know what a dead-end road is. We know when it's dark at night, you're on a dead-end road. It can seem hopeless and it can, be, it can seem lonely. Jesus Christ came to help us because a lot of us are on that dead-end road. Jesus came to help us find our way back to God. As you come to take the elements, I want you to listen to the song. And I want you to look at the words that Christina will share with us this morning. But you come when you're ready.